0: Coming up on this episode, we're discussing the Black Love Matters essay collection with the editor, Jessica Pride, and romance author and essay contributor, Adriana Herrera.
1: Welcome to episode 399 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of queer romance fiction. I'm Will, and with me as always is my co-host and husband, Jeff. Hello, Rainbow Romance Reader. It's great to have you here for this first of two episodes where we'll be discussing the Black Love Matters collection. Now, before we get into that, just a quick reminder that if you'd like to get book recommendations from us, delivered to your inbox every Friday, you can sign up for the Rainbow Romance Reader Report. It's a great companion to the show and a fun way to learn about new and upcoming releases. To sign up, go to biggayfictionpodcast.com report. And you know, we've talked at various
0: times, particularly over the past few years, about diversity in romance. Diversity and the representation and inclusion that comes with it is why we wanted to focus on the Black Love Matters collection and present this two-episode series. I don't think I've marked up a book as much as I did this one, which I have to say isn't the easiest thing to do when you're listening to audio, <laughs> to be able to hit that little bookmark and leave a quick little note on what you liked about that particular segment. In this book though, it's difficult to go more than a couple minutes or a couple pages without coming across a passage that's thought-provoking and that often comes with a range of emotions from sad to joyful to being outright pissed off about the state of the world and how people perceive and treat each other in some cases. This feeling is captured right at the start of the introduction, written by Black Love Matters editor, Jessica Pride. She wrote how, for her eight-year-old self, She decided that the final scene in the Whitney Houston Kevin Costner movie The Bodyguard was actually their kiss on the tarmac. As Jessica wrote, and I quote here I might not have thought about it this way then, but I was giving Rachel, giving myself, a happy ending, one that I could be satisfied with as a burgeoning devourer of love stories. And the fact that it was a black woman I was giving the happy ending to in such opposition to the other media I'd been exposed to and would continue to experience for the next few years was no small factor in needing to see that happy ending. Now, representation has improved in media since The Bodyguard came out in 1992, but it's still nowhere near where it should be. And when you look at romance books, reviewing the most recent data from the Ripped Bodice's State of Racial Diversity in Romance Publishing Report, In 2020 and 2021, only some 12% of romances were written by BIPOC authors and released by leading romance publishers. While that's up from 8.3% in 2019, it's still not reflective of the number of BIPOC people in the U.S. And we suspect, though we have no data, the number of BIPOC authors in queer romance is quite less than 12%. Now, beyond the book world, while there is more representation for persons of color, it often doesn't come without backlash. Just this year alone, there's been disheartening controversies made about a black actress playing Ariel in an upcoming Disney live-action version of The Little Mermaid, which comes some 25 years after Disney gave audiences a black Cinderella with Brandy as the princess in a film that also featured Whitney Houston. Similar controversy has come from the diverse cast featured in recent Star Wars movies and TV shows, and the new Amazon Prime series based on Lord of the Rings. This all demonstrates we have a long way to go across the media landscape and in the real world too. We firmly believe that everyone deserves to see themselves in a happily ever after. As an action hero, as royalty, a mer person, an adventure in space or middle earth. Or hey, depending on the story, a character who embodies all of that at the same time. And if you'd like to write that story, let us know because that'd be
1: a pretty cool book. And we hope since you're here with us that you believe in all that too. So while a collection of essays isn't something we would normally talk about here on the show, Jeff and I both read Black Love Matters and absolutely loved it. It's got a lot of really important, insightful things to say, and we wanted to share that with you as a way to encourage you to give this book a try. We hope that hearing us talk about it and hearing Jessica and Adriana talk about what they're so passionate about, that'll give you some time to reflect on how you choose what you read. All that being said, I wanna make sure that you know Black Love Matters is more than a brand muffin, you know, something that you consume because it's good for you. Not only is this collection educational, but it's also really funny and, like I said before, very insightful. It talks about where the romance genre has been, where we are right now, and where we're going in the future, which are all things that we are very passionate about, something we talk about every single week here on the show, ever since episode one back in 2015.
0: And now let's dive into our conversation about Black Love Matters with Jessica Pride and Adriana Herrera. Jessica talks about why she wanted to do the collection, and they both discuss the essays that they wrote. We also dig into why representation matters and the difficulty that can be had in finding books by Black authors. Jessica and Adriana, thank you so much for being here to talk to us about Black Love Matters. Thank you. Jessica, I wanna start with you just for some introductions. Please tell our listeners who you are (laughs) in case they don't know already.
2: Sure. I am Jessica Pride. I am a contributing editor at Book Riot and the co-host of the Women in Romance podcast. And I edited and contributed to the book Black Love Matters.
0: And Adriana, you're certainly a return guest for us, but let people know who you are in case for some reason they haven't read one of your books yet.
3: I am Adriana Herrera, and I write romance, and I was also a contributor to the essay collection, Black Love Matters.
0: Jessica, tell us a little bit about how this book came about and kind of the moment that triggered the idea for the essay collection.
2: Sure, the the moment that I always go to is when I was reading Well-Read Black Girl by Gloria Edom, and it's a really great collection sort of like Black Love Matters of a lot of Black women authors and other people sort of talking about the moment they saw themselves in fiction. And I was like, nobody in this book is talking about romance. And I've been a romance reader since before I should have been re- reading romance. So <laughs> I, I like sat there thinking like, what if there was something like this or something similar where Maybe not everybody was talking about the moment they felt seen, but just like what it's like from the black experience of being involved in the romance universe. So that's that's sort of how it came about.
0: How did you select the authors you wanted to have come along? Because you've got such an impressive lineup in this book. There were certainly a lot of people that I've heard of, but then, you know, others that I hadn't as well.
2: It was a, a bit of a mix between sort of Looking at who I, whose books I was enjoying and who I felt like had a unique perspective and then people that they recommended, I needed to like get the like frightening one out of the way. So the first person I contacted was Beverly Jenkins, Miss Bev, and she actually recommended Margo. So it sort of like sort of spiraled from like starting with a small group and then building out, figuring out where the gaps were in experiences or points of view. So it was, it was really fun because, you know, not everybody I reached out to said yes, but they were all like, this is great. Like, I hope, I hope it works out and best of luck and I look forward to reading it. And then I would sort of build out from there too.
0: What brought you into the collection, Adriana?
3: Jessica. She, she invited me. And I think, I mean, I think Jessica, because she is not just like really aware of the romance, like romance happenings is also like very attuned being a black woman herself to who is out there writing romance about people of color, black people in particular. So she had like a pretty good sense of who A, was writing it and B, had a lot of opinions about it and Mm -hmm. from a particular point of view. And I think that's what she ended up with such a good group. I think we all were really coming in with like a really particular point of view and it really gave, I mean, I think it's just like the beautiful thing about doing like things like that for like this, for romance specifically, because I think people who don't read romance, who aren't in romance, just don't have a sense for the scope. And the depth and the knowledge that there is and the thoughtfulness and intention that there is in, in writing romance for a lot of the people who are writing it today.
0: And I like what you said, Jessica, about, you know, getting Miss Bev essentially first to get that big one out of the way. So much knowledge and history sits with her. Our mm-hmm. friends over at Faded Mates had her on for one of their Trailblazer episodes and just Listening to her vast experience and knowledge and understanding and passion for the genre was just wonderful, mm-hmm. uh, and you know her essay too—the first one in the book after the introduction—is such such a stage.
2: Yeah, I I couldn't imagine starting with anything besides her. Like basically, I'm going to tell you a story about black romance and how it came about, and it reads so much like she's just sitting across from you telling you about this stuff and it it felt like the best place to start because I mean it it's definitely a hook it'll get you it'll get you in there and then to just move from there to the rest of the purview was just a great way to to go about it and she she put so much in it. I had to actually like go back to her with, with the essay that she gave me and was like, this is great, but where are you in here? Um, <laughs> so we had to go back and forth a couple of times to just remind her, it's like, yes, you can tell us about everything else that was happening, but you were in here too. You are a huge part of the history of Black romance. So drop yourself in there a few times.
0: <laughs> Did you give the authors any guidance on ideas for topics or things you'd like to see them write? Or was it more organic of, here's the broad topic of Black Love Matters, what would you like to write?
2: It was a mix of both. Like with with Adriana, it was like, I mean, you have a very particular point of view. You're one of the few authors writing romance from the afro latina point of view. You have all of this experience. And and then I learned a whole lot more about Adriana. Some people we had to sort of like sort of sit down and discuss which area of their own experience, like Piper Hugely wrote a really excellent essay, particularly about the black male hero. But, you know, we were also talking about whether she might want to bring in inspirational romance and, and all of that. But and so like, and there are people who are like, I could do this one or this one or this one, which one would you prefer? and then others were like, this is the story I'm going to tell, here it is. <laughs> so it was very much, basically, I said, go for it and come back when you've got something, and then we went from there.
0: Tell us a little bit about what you wrote for the collection, because you're actually in there three times between the introduction, the postscript, and the essay that you've put into it.
2: Yeah, the the introduction was actually the hardest to write, because i i wanted it to be approachable and not since it's the first thing anyone's going to be reading or listening to like this is coming from i didn't want it to sound like lofty or too much inside baseball for the average person who was reading about romance i had to cut out a lot of stuff about like rwa and that kind of thing but i i was really glad that i could still like sort of set the scope in the introduction But then when it came to, I want to write an essay about this too, what on earth am I going to write about? And I had been thinking a lot about interracial romance, just on on a huge scope, not just as far as what I wrote about in my essay, which is how Black woman, white man, interracial romance is sort of taking over this diverse romance of most kinds in traditional publishing. And I really wanted to sort of dig into that, especially as someone who is in an interracial relationship as a Black woman with a white man, just how I have to traverse that personally, but also as far as the book universe goes.
0: And Adriana, for you, how did you pick what you wrote? Because... You've got one of the most profound bits in the book, in my opinion.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think, again, I think Jessica and I are on the same page that what I could bring in is that I am someone who is kind of in a space that kind of gets lost in the cracks of, you know, blackness in general. And it's like, I'm I'm Latina. I'm from the Caribbean. I come from a place that speaks Spanish. And I am also Afro-descendant, so I am Black. And to me, I had to kind of think about my own sense of my Blackness in terms of representation and seeing myself represented because I grew up watching telenovelas, and I talk about like how telenovelas in particular have like a pretty important role in my life in general, in my family's life, because it was my dad's business. And also because I grew up watching telenovelas, but also, I mean, yes, Representation in terms of like they were Latin people, but there were no people that looked specifically like me. And then how that translates into my experience as a reader and a romance reader specifically. And then kind of my journey as a romance reader once I moved to the US and kind of like saw my own Blackness in a different light and how that reflected into what I began to read. So, yeah, I feel like for me, it was kind of like a layered it was different layers of my experience as a romance reader and my like my consciousness around representation i think was a lot of what was in that essay in terms not just of uh, representation in terms of books but like love stories because telenovelas are romances it's just their you know television and in my sense of where I could fit into those stories as, like, my full self, as, like, a Latina and a Black woman and an immigrant and a person who is bisexual and all those things together. And that was kind of, like, the place where, like, I kind of just slipped through the cracks.
0: And the the representation is exactly what struck me so much in your essay. Cause you have this passage, you mentioned what you, what you just said, that telenovelas was your, your father's business. It was also your mother's business. They were in it together. But you mentioned at one point in the essay that you wondered if your mother and father would have had, if they had seen themselves more in the telenovela romances that they were putting on the air, that it would have helped their own HEA. And I don't know if people think about how Seeing yourself even in an entertainment fiction program or a book, how that can impact your real life and and the relationships you have.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think about that a lot actually because obviously I'm a romance writer, so I think a lot about romantic relationships. But I think about my parents and my dad specifically, my dad was, a really dark skinned man who was a lot darker skinned than I was, than I am. And he, and he was, you know, this person was like a very successful businessman and his business was romantic. Like he knew he could watch the first episode of a telenovela because he would go to these like big trade shows and he would watch, you know, like the pilots and then he would decide if he was going to buy it or not. And my dad knew it was going to be a hit, right? Like from the first episode and i just thinking like someone who consumed this much romance for decades and not once did he see someone that looked like him in any of those telenovelas and he knew exactly what a great romantic hero would be, right? Like just from watching like the 30 minute kind of pilot. And I think a lot about like consuming so much of that and then never seeing your reflection once, how that has to like impact your ability to see yourself as that person. Like, like Viola Davis said this, I was watching her in an interview recently for her autobiography. And she was talking about like, you have to see tangible, like evidence of your dream. You can't just like hear about it, but you have to like see it physically or, or read about it so that you can experience what your dream is. And I think about that a lot with my dad and my mom.
0: It's interesting how you could be around romance all the time, but not seeing yourself can matter. Yeah. Yeah. Jessica, you mentioned leaving RWA stuff out of the introduction because you didn't get too much into the nuts and bolts, but certainly some of the RWA discussions is where Will and I started to hear so many stories of people. And something that stuck with me from a meeting that they had at RWA 2019, where the board were hearing different things about diversity and letting people kind of talk out loud the membership. And one of the things that struck me, somebody stood up and said, that they had you know gotten a lot of pushback from some readers because there was a black woman in the book who was a scientist, mm-hmm. and the readers were like, "That's not believable and it struck me as like, really, how is that not believable in twenty nineteen <laughs> and you know there's more reference to that kind of thing in this book, and especially how people read critically. How do we move past that kind of lack of understanding of where we live today.
2: I I think part of it is just keep throwing it at people. Um, that's the only <laughs> real way that, you know, th- throw it, throw it, throw it, hope it'll stick like spaghetti eventually, because, you know, even, even Miss Bev talks about, you know, 20, 25 years ago being approached by a white reader who told her that she didn't know that black people fell in love the same way that white people did so like we've still got those readers that we have to get through to or not like sometimes it's just like you have your you have your 95% of romance if you really want it you can have it but you know for people who aren't who are reading and not realizing the amazing communities, the amazing abilities, the amazing just like lives that Black people in particular have. Carol's essay was all about sort of like Black community and infrastructure and working together in activism, but in a very insular way, because that is how we have learned how to work and live in the United States in particular. And uh, sort of letting people visit that who aren't Black, who don't share that experience, might expose them to some understanding of how not different (laughs) from, from them we might be. But gosh, the idea that someone doesn't believe that a Black woman could be a scientist. I don't know if there are people who have those kinds of concepts of how people are and how the world is that we can actually get through to. So, I don't know if I answered your question, but <laughs> that's about, that's, those are the thoughts that came through.
0: Margot Hendricks touched on this, a similar concept in the, how a black author found her romance history essay as well, because there's certainly a lack of understanding of you know, how black people, persons of color, queer people existed, you know, in the Regency and it, it well, early, early in all of history, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, even, even coming through the 60s, 70s and 80s of, you know, the 20th century. And Adriana, you write through multiple time frames. you know, between the contemporaries with like the the dreamers books and finding joy. And now some of the historicals that you're writing, do you even worry about that? Or do you just tell your story and let other people try to fill in what they think is true and not true through all that?
3: I, I mean, I don't, and, and I, I don't worry about it, but I do try to do as much research as I can, because I think to Margot's point, I think, I mean, we got the same history books that everybody else got. Mm-hmm. And so, we've also like not had our complete history told to us, right? And so even for me, I grew up in the Dominican Republic, so I went to a Dominican you know, elementary school, high school and college. And, and so I have a very strong sense of Dominican history because I was born in, and I, and I talk about this in, in my essay, like I was born in the place where the transatlantic slave trade began. And I was also born in the first place that was a city in the Americas. So I have a very strong sense of just how long black people have been like living and thriving in this part of the world. And so I think that helps me come into these like historical romance spaces with a lot less like trepidation I think because in romance we have only read a very particular part of history and specifically like I mean when you're not talking about like Miss Bev right who's been doing her thing for decades and is writing like the African-American experience but like Mm -hmm. for me for example I'm writing about people from the Caribbean in Europe and that is something that has not been that has been predominantly like European set historical romance other than Vanessa Riley I think and Dahlia Rose I think and now J.J. McAvoy like her first came out this year have not been really writing in that space. I I have a lot I think I, I don't I come at it from like I don't have any sense or like hesitation that we were there and so I don't question it because I know it happened. I mean it would be really hard not For it not to happen when ships began sailing back and forth from Santo Domingo specifically in 1492. And by the time, like by the 1800s, it had been like 300 years. Mm
1: -hmm. So it would be
3: very difficult for people not to make it from the island to Europe, only from Europe to the island. The island would have been overflown with people, people would be in the ocean. So, I mean, to me, like, that's part of it, like, because I grew up in the Dominican Republic with, like, Black people who had been there as professionals, as doctors, as surgeons from, like, the 1600s. Like, I have a very strong sense that, like, yes, like, we were going to Europe and studying medicine, studying art, studying law and coming back. So... To me, it's more being able to kind of like find little pockets of history that I can kind of use for a romance setting. Like for my series Las Leonas, like I just happened to find that like Dominican Republic and another certain Latin countries were at the 1889 World's Fair in Paris and that they had pavilions. And they're just like all this archives of information about our presence at that fair. I know how many people came. There's like ledgers and registers of how many Latin people were at the fair. So like there was all this information that I could use to kind of like set a, a series there. So I don't, I don't worry about it because like I know how little, like how much information I had. I was lacking in my education about the presence of people of color in the world in general. So mm-hmm. I, 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 I know that that's going to be a question, but also I don't worry about it because if mm-hmm. I did, then...
0: I want to write it. Was there an essay or a passage of an essay that like really maybe surprised you or caught your attention the most within the collection?
3: I I mean I don't think anything surprised me. I was really interested in just all the different ways that people think about romance and, and like black romance in particular like jessica mentioned like i think carol's essay was like really talking about like how community can exist in 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 romance and like the like the activism that one can do through reading and also through writing and miss babs was just fascinating because she's just like a living walking talking history archive institution of like she's like literally the one of the people that built the house that like we get to write in mm-hmm. so just to, to to read about all the things that were like how much has happened right like you you, you always think about people coming into romance as a very new thing and then you remember, oh oh, you know, Beverly Jenkins has been writing since like the 80s when romance really began to be a thing that was like the like the, the, the modern genre that we that we that we read now. So it was mm-hmm. I don't think anything surprised me. I just think I just found it very enriching
0: to me. Mm-hmm. And Jessica, how about for you?
3: Oh
2: gosh, the <laughs> fact that the fact that I got to read every essay, some of them like three or four times, I did not realize how how many times you have to read a book before it's published. By the way, Adriana, I salute you because you've done that a whole lot. Um, <laughs> but every essay sort of stood stood on its own. And that's the main thing that I really love about this. I will say that the, the one essay that I didn't know what to expect. So that kind of just sort of took me by surprise was Deshaun Harrison's essay, in part because they are not in the romance universe. I really wanted something from the perspective of someone who was familiar with pop culture, who could talk about romance and love and the universe and black love in particular, but they I really I really love their voice and their essay about desire and desirability is so very different from everyone else's even though everyone like I said all of the essays are different but that one just like that's the one that made me like sit and like think about everything I knew for a little bit before (laughs) before I came back to them to to talk about expanding ideas and clearing things up just because it's like, I know I have a degree in humanities, but that is, you are on a whole different level than me, my friend. So that that's the one that, that stands out because the Sean himself stands out among the very romance centered people that is the rest of the
0: collective. How did you decide how to order them? Because it is a very distinct order that really tells a story and pulls a narrative through starting from Miss Bev through to the end
2: yeah i knew that miss bev and christina's essays were going to be the book ends just sort of where we started where we're going kind of thing and the other ones i am i sort of shifted around based on their themes and almost like how personal the essays were i didn't want To have like personal essay, personal essay, personal essay, theory, essay, theory, essay, theory, essay. I wanted it to to sort of flow so you didn't get too tired, uh, like mentally tired of the same kind of concept over and over again. You got sort of a mix because there is a nice blend of people who are writing from a personal point of view, people who are writing from a more academic point of view and people who are somewhere in the middle. So I wanted to n- not quite alternate, but sort of smoothly move through those so that it wasn't just like, cause I almost did it in groups. Like these are the personal ones and these are the literary ones. And, but I thought that having it move back and forth might be a little more interesting to read and also make people not skip whole sections. in the case that they were afraid of the academic (laughs) (laughs) ones,
0: Don't be afraid by any of them because they they all tell such a good story. Mm -hmm. Um, Where do you think all this does go? I mean, you mentioned Christina's that kind of bookends and look into the future. What do you think the future looks like, you know, based on what she said and just like what you've seen, even since this collection came out?
2: Oh man, there, there have been a few authors who have popped up in the past year and a half or so because we we got the the final draft in of this in the summer of last year so it's been a little over a year now since the the draft went in well not the final draft but the everyone's essays and everything before copy edits but there have been some authors whose voices have popped up on twitter or other social media or whose books i've just encountered and been like i wish I could have gotten their point of view. there are so many younger authors who are popping up who are just just out of college or still in college who really have not only a, a different writing style but a completely different experience with the world that I I am really excited to read their their stories and their like their romances and I'm just I'm excited for more. Self-publishing and indie publishing is really broadening the horizon, which is one of the reasons that I wanted to end with Christina's essay, because that's really where so many of the stories that haven't made it through the gates are, are being put out. But the fact that traditional publishers and multiple imprints among those publishers are doing more than just, this is our Black author who writes Black romance, we don't need any more. Okay, some of them are still doing that. But <laughs> the fact that they seem to be trying a little more to broaden their their own sort of group of authors, even, even the ones who are writing stories that I talk about in my interracial romance essay, they're at least trying to expand their horizons. But indie romance is going to be where the new stuff happens, I think, for a while, while traditional publishers are going to sort of be watching. Because we've even seen Bloom Books as one imprint in particular with Sourcebooks, who's sort of watching TikTok and watching indie romances and seeing what's popular and then offering them contracts to publish those same indie published books again. So, you know, maybe, maybe that's the way in, but I'm not, I don't know. It's hard to see. It's really hard to tell how that's gonna work. But as, as long as everybody gets their flowers, that's, that's what
0: matters. How do you think things are moving Adriana? Cause you certainly have been one of the people really leading the charge coming through RWA 2019. Mm-hmm. And now here we are. Three and a half years on from that. It feels like it's better, but it's certainly not as much better as we'd want it to be either.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say, like I probably could talk just about this for like three hours. I think <laughs> about it constantly. I mean, going from just like the idea of community and like places where romance can kind of have bigger conversations. I think I wish there was something that like was like a, a physical thing. Cause I feel like social media, especially like through the pandemic has become a place that I, personally, for me has been a real hard place to be in. If I want to mm. continue to create and write, like things feel really fraught. There's a lot of intensity. There's a really like, it's not easy to have nuanced conversations. And so I think I wish we had something where we could go and talk about craft, talk about the genre, talk about where it's going, talk about how it's going for those of us who are trying to write like in the margins.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
3: and we don't have that. And I miss that. I wish we had that. And, and just in terms of craft, like I think so much of the conversation is about like how you're doing on social media, like how you're marketing yourself and, and I wish there were more conversations happening in our genre about like the craft of writing, right? Like, mm-hmm. and so that to me is something that I miss. And so, in that sense, I wish that was going better. And in terms of just like where I don't know, like, it's so hard to even say because in the age of TikTok and viral books, it feels like the mid, like, the mid is shrinking. So visibility mm. for people who are writing stories like ours, like the, the space for us to be visible and for our voices to have reach feels like it's getting smaller. Like I, I, like someone compared it to like where like romance is going to like the MCU, like, like the Marvel <laughs> universe where like only the blockbusters are visible and then everybody else kind of like, and so that I, it does feel that way sometimes. And I wonder how that's going to impact like our ability like to, cause we, I felt like we were really gaining a lot of traction right before the pandemic in terms of like really having conversation about diversity is important. And, and romance, even traditionally published romance is more diverse than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. And in terms of like books getting published and people having access to like book deals and like being able to be in an imprint and like indie authors being able to just like write whatever they want to write and put it out there and find readers. And then also at the same time, it feels like the bestseller list is really reflecting that the tastes of the readership really have not diversified if you kind of go back and look like the USA Today bestseller list, your attempts to sell on list, and see what's happening there. And then you see like, Oh, the like, there is a lot more available in terms of diversity, but are people reading them? And so that is my question of where that's going to go, how we can like possibly like find more pockets of readers. And I think a lot of it has to do with visibility because I think There's still a lot of readers, the readers that we are writing this books for, it's a question for me, whether they, they have, they know we're here because publishing is very good at selling books to a particular reader. And I don't know if that is the readers that we are writing for. Mm -hmm. That's like a pretty grim answer. Sorry.
0: (laughs) A realistic answer though. You mentioned the mid list and we've seen late this summer, Barnes and Noble, saying what they were going to do about mid-list and debut authors and hardback books, you know, not being in the stores. And of course, in general, romance is about paperback, so it doesn't necessarily impact that yet, but you could start to see where the retailers, and especially it's concerning when it is the national bookstore, because it's really the only national chain that's left, I think, Mm -hmm. and how they're starting to cull some of that and how it affects new authors, marginalized voices and that kind of thing. Do you see that as a concern for romance yet or a concern perhaps yet to happen?
3: I mean, I honestly feel like the last couple of years, there's been like a whole new readership that's come to romance, which we predicted it would. Like we knew YA readers were coming to romance and they would have like a pretty big sway over what happened. It's been a different like that readership has come in in a different way than I thought it would. But I think like it tracks that they are more interested in paperbacks because YA readers read a lot more in paperback. So a lot of those things I feel like make sense. The thing about it with romance that perhaps like is like something that is helpful to us that romance readers and romance authors have like self-publishing as like a very viable way to like a make a living and be put their work out there if you are willing to be hybrid or if you are willing to be self-published like you have the ability to kind of like adapt and adjust to whatever the market's doing i honestly don't know what's gonna happen <laughs> with traditional publishing like i am as like curious about it as anyone else because it does seem like there's a big shift happening in how like how authors can be, have exposure, how they can have disability, find readers. And I frankly don't don't know like how it's going to all play out Where we're like, I think it, my sense is that this happens, like this is exactly how everyone was feeling when like eBooks all of a sudden came into the scene and everything was changing very rapidly. Like 50 Shades of Grey came in and it was like, Change the landscape. And so I feel like probably we're in that moment again and things will even out and then something new will come.
2: I was just thinking like, I, my local Barnes Noble is literally less than a mile away. It's a stoplight, a left turn, another left turn, <laughs> and I'm in there. And so when I wander in and you see like the spicy talk table and the fact that the buyers are putting more of their like buying dollars into several copies of the same 30 books and they might have one copy of something in the mid-list that you're looking for you know that that is of a concern and you know if you sort of curate your own Barnes & Noble experience or at any indie bookstore like I've started going to a couple of indies in in my area who don't carry a whole lot of romance and just ordering copies of books like I ordered Adriana's last book from there and they ended up getting a couple more copies because like oh that sounds interesting like well then just buy them all the time but it, that's another story um, <laughs> but you know the the prevalence of trade paperback is you know shifting out some mass market as far as like shelf space and that kind of thing and you know that's something that we have to watch as far as the whole romance landscape goes but i think like Adriana said there's there's a little bit less of a concern as far as the hardcover stuff goes but it's really hard to say where stuff's gonna go in print because the tiktok generation really is enjoying having something to to show and hold and like pretty things but they also apparently don't like human bodies so i don't i don't know it's very it's very interesting
0: (laughs) yep it is And it leads to the connected question of discoverability overall. If you look at authors, for example, who are in KU, which is huge for independently published romance authors, I think especially when you drill down into queer romance, Mm -hmm. how do you find these authors? I think it's very difficult. A lot of authors have just an icon, for their image and you don't know unless you maybe read bios and they say something in their bio that clues you in or something. And there's a dearth of persons of color on covers um, mm-hmm. as well. And I don't know how to solve the discoverability problem. And, you know, Jessica, you look at a lot through Book Riot and stuff and Adriana, you're certainly plugged in. How do we solve that? Gosh, it's
2: it's so hard. I rely heavily on word of mouth and word of mouth locally but also like on Twitter I follow certain groups and then I follow websites like Christina C Jones the Christina that I've been referencing the past couple of times has a site called Girl Have You Read and it is centered on black romance it, they talk about releases and all of that but it, it it is really hard to even determine if someone who is writing about what appear to be black people what appear to be queer people are themselves people of color or queer? Like it so, like you said, unless they put it in their description, or you troll them on their social media and see if they have a part. Like it's it's so hard, <laughs> and it, so just like relying on that that personal connection of I read this, it was good. You should read it. Is is almost how I discover every new author, especially indie authors, just because someone has been talking about it. And there are probably so many more that I, I don't know because they don't have a Twitter presence or one of my friends isn't reading them right now or talking about them or mm-hmm. exclaiming about them on TikTok. Because actually Twitter and TikTok have a very different group of Black authors that they love. So it's, it's, it's an interesting universe, but yeah, it's, it's almost all word of mouth. It's, it's hard to find them if you're not dialed in to everything. And I know that there are a lot of people who prefer not to be dialed in because of all of that negativity, all of that angst, all of everything else that's happening, especially in romance Twitter, which is a new fight every day, it seems like.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not, Twitter and I'm not on TikTok. I'm I'm on Twitter like updates and I I don't do it. So I'm like I'm on Instagram and then I try to like follow mailing lists, try to kind of like word of mouth friends that you know read what I read and they have a new person that they found that they they they, they like tread into those very treacherous waters of Twitter and find something new and they bring it back to me and I'll read it. But, but I think if, if it's not word of mouth or something that like, you know, magically kind of like get some traction outside of social media, then it's hard to find unless of course, then you have the covers and then we have like all this, like, you know, different, like there's different, kind of like opinions right now about if you you should have object covers or you should have a person on the cover. So
0: it's hard. And I've even heard some debates around, should it be a photograph or should it be illustrated Mm -hmm. as well? And what do the differences between those actually mean and the message they kind of convey? It was a very interesting topic that we could probably go on for forever, (laughs) even debating the kind of cover. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jessica, how's the response been to the collection? It's been out since this spring, so we're about six months out. What have you been hearing from the the folks that have read it?
2: I have been hearing very good things, and I'm very glad that the response has been significantly positive. A lot of people have learned a lot of things about either individual people, authors, or just sort of this scope of Black romance and Black romantic stories in pop culture that they hadn't thought about, which is really, really great to hear. I've been able, like Adriana came out to Tucson for our Festival of Books in March, and we were able to have a little panel from some of the contributors to talk about it and got some interesting questions and just response from people that we could talk to -to face-to-face which was nice because this is a whole pandemic baby. I think I started proposing it before the pandemic started, but I remember my first meeting with Berkeley was on Zoom. So like everything since then has been just pandemic experience. So a lot of my, a lot of my communication with people and reacting to it has been online in some kind of way, but you know, that first time somebody I didn't know posted about it, tagged me on Instagram, that was just like, a, oh my gosh, this is a real book kind of <laughs> thing. But they, like like I said, it's been a really positive experience. People have asked me if there was going to be more like it, and I don't think so. I don't know. We haven't really talked about that yet. There's been really great response to just the cover, which is... it. I had to fight for that cover, but I'm so glad that I did.
0: Really? Cause it's such a perfect cover because it has the straight couple, the lesbian couple, the gay couple. It covered the gambit because honestly the straight couple that we think is straight, they could be bi.
1: So, mm-hmm. I mean, it really <laughs>
0: covered kind of everything and multiple forms of love.
2: Yeah. had canon accepted that couple is bi. I'm going with it. The whole cover is clear. I'm, I'm taking yes. it with me. I like uh, it. <laughs> yeah, like the, the original cover, like, I don't, I say I had to fight for it, but it's not that I had to fight for it. It's more like, I had to get there from the initial proposal for a cover, which was very female-centric. Just like, it was a beautiful image of a woman. And I was like, this is great. This is not what this, this book is about. And it's not who it's for. So we had to go back to the drawing board a few times before we got to, to that. And I think I was like, can I have like a queer triptych? Like, <laughs> can, can that work? That's that's what this book it really is. It's like everybody, black love amongst all people. And Monica Anonu, who is the off the artist, really really came back with a
0: grand slam. Kudos to them because it's 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 perfect. Yeah. Is there a romance novel lurking in you somewhere?
2: I mean, lurking definitely would make it out through the fingers. Hard to say.
0: And Adriana, there was a question we had from one of our patrons. Was there a book, something you read, you know, by a person of color or featuring characters of color that clicked for you that I can write this book too. I can do this.
3: Hmm, I mean, it's hard to say because again, I grew up in the Dominican Republic. So like in the bookstores, all the bookstores were written by Latin people. Like it's not like, I think had I been raised in the U.S. where like there's like not as much diversity in that sense, it would have been like I think I would have kind of like come to that moment. But there were so many Dominican writers in Dominican bookstores that I mean, I always knew that like Dominican people could write. I think probably it was the piece of seeing like romance written by a person of color that gave me kind of like would have been more something that I would have kind of gotten here in the in the U.S. because like you know Isabel Allende, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, Maria Vargas Llosa like that was all Latin people on the bookshelves on every bookstore in the DR so I think my experience given that I didn't grow up here was a little different in that sense but probably like I mean, I would say probably the first like books that I saw that were by like with brown people on the cover, because there were some Latin, like Latin lines in the, in like in the, in the US bookshelves. I'm up here when I was 23, but probably I would say like the first book that I saw that was like, whoa, was Dirty Girls Social Club. And that was a chick lit book that came out in, I want to say like 2001, 2002. And it was basically kind of like sex in the city, but with all this group of Latina friends. And they all had like their own little like romance stories in the book. It wasn't really like a romance, but it was like kind of like sex in the city. And it was written by a Latina. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, this is like all women that have experiences that are like resonant to mine, even if they are like, like Latinas who were born here in the US. So I would say probably that one, but I, I think I have again, like a different experience in terms of like my sense of like, can there be Buxley Latin people?
0: That just highlights probably a whole other discussion we could have just the differences in countries, Mm Yeah, you know, and how this plays out in different parts of the world as well. Maybe that's book two, Jessica, right there. (laughs) different perceptions
3: around the world yeah romance writers in different places in the world that would be
2: super fascinating yeah that's something that like i i know that like all a lot of our conversations about romance are very u.s centric even most of the people who write regency historical romance are from the u.s but you know i've been thinking about that more so maybe not a book but maybe something else we'll see
0: And of course, I'd be remiss if I did not get book recommendations from both of you. What have you been reading recently that you would recommend to our listeners?
2: One that I really enjoyed relatively recently, speaking of not being U.S. centric, is Honey and Spice by Bolu (laughs) Babalola. And Bolu is a British Nigerian author. So her story is set in the UK from the point of view of Black British people and people who are first generation British from the continent, like some of them have families still in Nigeria or Ghana or other places like that. So it's a really different kind of book as far as figuring out some of the lingo. But otherwise, it is very much, it's trope It's a college set book featuring a university radio personality I guess you would call her and the new guy on campus who she calls out for being sort of a a man whore and then ends up having to fake date him so it's it's really fun I loved it on audio so since I know you're an audio person I definitely recommend the audio book it's narrated spectacularly, and I can't, can't remember the narrator's name right now. It's lots of fun and has its serious moments and some more heavy stuff around sort of the, the rom-com universe. But it's, it's great to read a book that is a romance that is not U.S.-centric and U.S.-focused.
3: I've read a few good things. Probably my favorite book of the year so far is You Made a Fool of Death with Your Beauty Mm -hmm. by Weke and Messi. They are also Nigerian, but they live in the U.S. And this book specifically is set initially in Brooklyn, but it's also set in like the West Indies, like it's in the Caribbean and the main character Faye she's lost her husband in a car accident five years earlier she's kind of just coming into the dating scene and starting to date and she kind of starts dating this guy and then she ends up in a relationship with his dad which is not your typical romance but it is a romance or happily ever after it is just gorgeous it's one of the best like examinations of grief that I've read and it's both both leads the the hero and her are both bisexual. It's a very queer book. Mm-hmm. And it's a very black book. It's not set here. Just the descriptions of like my home, my part of the world, like the Caribbean, are just absolutely amazing. The food, he's a chef, and anyway, I loved, love that book a lot. I think it's one of like probably the best like unpackings of a taboo romance because she does end up like dating the dad of the dad that she's kind of originally seeing mm-hmm. and it unpacks the shame around taboo romances and, and forbidden love in such a beautiful way that i was just like blown away by it and The audio is really great. It's narrated by Bonnie Turpin, who's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I've read it like twice. Like I read it and then I listened to it and then I'll probably read it again before the year's over. I really, really love that book. I think it's like truly like one of the best romances I've read in a long time. And also one that is a lot more lighthearted. It's called Witchful Thinking. And it's by Celestine Martin, it's a debut paranormal, and it's, she's black, both leads are black, and it's a witch and a merman in like a New Jersey like coastal town, and it's super cute, and it's really romantic and sexy. So that those are two that I've read recently that have stood out for me.
0: And Adriana, you've had quite the summer with Caribbean Heiress in Paris. Congratulations so much on how oh, that yeah. book has gone. I keep seeing it like everywhere.
3: Yes. Quite just... a few
0: things coming up shortly before this interview comes out on the hustle will have come out. Yes. Uh, what else is coming up for you?
3: Well, I just turned in the second book in Las Leonas series, which heiress, a Caribbean heiress in Paris is the first one. So the second one is An Island Princess Starts a Scandal. And this one is a lesbian romance. So it's if you read the first book, it's the Duchess and Manuela, who is like the from the three trio of friends. She's the artist. And it's also set in Paris in 1889 at the World's Fair. And then I have Hustle, which is my second one in the Dallas series. I have a novella that's like in a monster romance anthology that we did a Kickstarter for called the Hellmouth Guardians Lover, which is like Buffy
0: fanfic, but with a serpent demon. When I saw that on your list, I was so surprised. It's like, look at Adriana really branching out. I'm trying. Yeah,
3: I'm just like, if I'm going to go into monster romance, it's going to be Buffy fanfiction. And then I have the villain. We I've been doing this historical anthology for the last couple of years with Eva Lee Nicola Davidson, Joanna Schupin, Sarah Simone, we did Duke, Rake, and this year we're doing Villain. So I have that coming out in November.
0: That's excellent. And Adriana, what's your website information?
3: Mine is com, and social media-wise, Instagram is the only place that I'm really on actively, and it's Adriana underscore Herrera.
0: And Jessica, for you, what's coming up that you could tell us about on the podcast and with other things you've got going on?
2: You know, there isn't really a whole lot coming up for me. I'm doing a in romance podcast every other week, and I've got some Book Riot proper stuff every month, but I haven't really settled on my next project, but there's something moving forward, probably starting in 2023.
0: Excellent. And what are the best ways for people to keep up with all of your various things online?
2: I am on all of the things. You can always check me out on my website. If you are not into social media, it's jessicapride.com and that will have links to my various social media, including Twitter, Instagram, and the clock app, which I am slowly pulling myself forward onto.
0: (laughs) Fantastic. We will link to everything that we've talked about, all the books, all the ancillary stuff, everything in our show notes. Jessica and Adriana, I thank you so much for spending some time with us to talk about this amazing book, Black Love Matters.
3: Thank you for having us.
2: Yes, thank you so much. I am really, really happy to spread the good news and to let the people who write a lot more have more of the foreground.
1: This episode's transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the conversation for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at biggayfictionpodcast.com. And don't forget, the show notes page also has links to everything that we've talked about in this episode. And thanks so
0: much to Jessica and Adriana for discussing the Black Love Matters collection with us. We hope that you'll join us in seeking out and reading books by authors of color. The more we all read these books and lift them up by sharing and reviewing them, The more it will encourage the authors to
1: keep writing,
0: which in turn allows more people to find themselves in the pages of a book.
1: All right. I think that'll do it for now. Coming up next week, we'll continue our discussion of the Black Love Matters collection with author and friend of the podcast, Kasoko Jackson. In his essay, Kasoko
0: focuses on the representation in media and in particular three characters from TV that impacted him, both as a queer black man and as an author. So
1: we'll be discussing that, and we'll chat about his new rom-com that's releasing in December. On behalf of Jeff and myself, we want to thank you so much for listening and hope that you'll join us again soon for more discussions about the kinds of stories we all love, the big gay fiction kind. Until then, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Original theme music by Daryl Banner.